0: listener. Hi, and welcome back to Broadsheet Sydney Around Town. I'm Emma Joyce, Features Editor at Broadsheet, and I host this short guide to Sydney. In today's episode, we're looking back at 10 years of small bar papageddies. It was one of the first small bars to open in Sydney, shortly after the Liquor Amendment Bill was created in 2013. Owner Lara Dignam is in the studio to tell us about a big party they have planned to celebrate a decade of zombie making and shaking, as well as what makes a delicious absinthe. And she'll also share a bit about the producers they buy the anise flavoured spirit from in New South Wales. Some of the best places to drink in the CBD are tiny laneway bars, intimate rooftop spaces and slightly hard to find drinking dens. And it's hard to imagine today, but there was a time not too long ago where a small bar didn't exist in Sydney. The Liquor Amendment Bill that created a new type of license for a small bar, that's ones with 60 patrons or less, was created in 2013. So this year, a number of those loved bars are marking a milestone 10 years of operation. One of those is Papagetti's, run by Lara Dignam and partner Mick Dintz. Lara, welcome to Broadsheet Sydney Around Town. Hello. Congratulations on running a bar, a small bar for a decade. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're throwing a very special party to celebrate mm-hmm. ten years in the business, but I'd love for you to take us right back to the beginning, mm-hmm. as to why you wanted to open Papaghetti's in the first place, and what that basement space looked like when you first got your hands on it.
1: Oh God. Okay. So when we first opened, there was um, myself, my husband, and we had another business partner and good friend at the time, who's who's since um, gone on to other things, but we were housemates. And we were all working at other venues and sort of, the, I guess, the pipe dream of owning your own venue, we just began to take it a bit more seriously. Um, my husband's always wanted to open a bar and then the, I think it was an alignment of the licensing and we were sort of just turning 30, I think, like we were just starting to take things in our lives a little bit more seriously, um, try and like use our savings for things other than holidays, you know, that kind of stuff. Um So then it was like a long process of um, just real estate disappointment. I think that it's every little venue that you find was once something else, and sometimes there's been a lot of things. For us, it was it had only ever been a garage in this other this other building on Clarence Street, and what had happened is the owner had seen that there were little bars coming through and gone, actually this could be a bar. Like that would never have occurred to him before, I don't think. And he went, actually this is a really cool location. It's down this heritage-listed laneway and it's got all this, like, inbuilt character. So that had just sort of come on there and was, I think, the kind of small place where a lot of operators would have gone, that's never going to work, it's tiny. Whereas now we know you just got to, like, look at it with a certain eye. So, but that took a while to find it.
0: And as we know, that discoverability of finding something down a laneway or heading up some stairs and you've got this rooftop bar that you wouldn't have known was there from the street level. Yeah. That is part of the appeal and something that now we have so many varieties of. It really is fun to kind of enjoy discovering what's around in Sydney. How did you decide what route to take Papagetti's in? Because it was a tiki bar style bar in the beginning.
1: There was a few different influences. So we're sort of dedicated to the spirit of lust and laughter and drinking and togetherness that had roots in like Caribbean and tiki, I guess, drinking culture to, to a degree and also in New Orleans. So there was these two kind of really prominent parts of cocktail culture, like tiki cocktails and, and New Orleans are these huge influences. Um, and we used elements of both of those. And I think it just came together and going, this is about, it's high I call it, but it's fun. Like we're not a stuffy venue or a little basement. Um, little basement we started off with like real scrappy furniture that we just couldn't afford anything else and slowly made it more comfortable um and then we just sort of test the water like stuff that we thought tasted really good or all of a sudden like people just got into absinthe, I guess because we were into it and that's been a slow build but it's something that's always persisted there um and also the tiki aspect I think tiki's just fun like it's just that's all it's there for it's to very unserious, very like kick up your heels thing. And even if um, paper umbrellas haven't been in vogue in the last 10 years, the essence and the soul of a a paper umbrella
0: (laughs) is very much alive. Yeah. It's all about that holiday atmosphere, the vibe of being in somewhere that doesn't feel like you're in Sydney once you're inside the bar. Exactly. Yeah. And we used to
1: get the, I mean, we still get it really. People um, come in and go, oh, this is just like Melbourne. And I think you're going, no, this is just like Sydney. Like this is just, we have so many different angles of this city and it's very cool that this has been able to be developed and people do get to have a sense of discovery here and you don't have to leave your city to do that.
0: Do you have any cocktails on the menu that you feel like you just wouldn't want to remove because they've been part of the fabric of Papageti's for 10 years?
1: Yeah, that's always a, uh, I think as operators and also for the staff, you like to change things up to challenge yourself. Our zombie sells really well, which is that for those who don't know what a zombie is, it's it's a bit of a lull. It's about resurrecting the dead, right? So you go brain dead. That's the zombie reference. It's a real classic tiki drink that was designed to basically knock you off your feet. And we <laughs> strong. It's strong, yeah. And we've had to, like, we adjust it to the palate at the time, really, which is still, like, it's a very strong drink and you've got overproof rum and stuff in it. That's just something which I think fit the venue. It fit the Everything about that character seemed to work. It's not like we invented the drink because we didn't, but we do our own version of it and we really like to present it to people and it just fits in that world really well. There's another one which is absinthe based called Divine Intervention, which, yeah, that just, I think it was just an unusual flavour profile at the time and people weren't really finding that exact thing elsewhere because that was very much a whiskey. Whiskey was very in vogue kind of when we opened, which obviously I also love, but. Um, I think those were the kind of things that people weren't necessarily getting in other places in the CBD at that time. And so they've they've stuck with us and become part of our character.
0: Now, before you came into the studio, we were chatting with someone about papageddies and he oh, cool. said, oh yeah, the absinthe bar. Oh, so that's cool. become what you are now known for, especially to this that's particular great. person. You've got a quite impressive collection of local varieties and also international ones. Yep. So what makes a good absinthe?
1: Absinthe, what I really love about it is it has a lot of story and um, sort of reputation, and I think prior to doing, you know, my own research and meeting with absinthe makers and all the absinthe suppliers is that all you know about it is anti-absinthe things that you've seen or heard. So really what it came down to when I recently talked to an absinthe supplier, the wine shortage in France, which was, what, 19th century whenever it was. Please fact-check me. Um that basically wiped out a bunch of their wine crops. Absinthe became a lot more popular during that time. And then I think when, so the saying goes, when wine started to come back into vogue, the wine suppliers were like, we better put a bit old no, no, no in front of the absinthe to discourage people because we want them to return to drinking wine. And so that became part of the sort of, I guess, propaganda around telling everyone it's bad. And um, that it's going to make you go crazy and really like anything, if you are making it to a certain, you know, that you're following regulations, I guess, and telling people how much
0: alcohol is involved and all the rest of it, then you're,
1: you're going to be fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've got local producers of absinthe as well on the menu. Yep. What can you tell us about them? Because I'm not that familiar with them, like Baron & Sons, for example?
1: We've got about three Australian absinths on at the moment. We would love to extend the collection, but it's always a toss-up with absinths because they're such strong alcohol. They're quite expensive and the small suppliers, you know, they're generally a bit pricier. So we've been sort of slowly trying to extend it in terms of local stuff without making it like $30 a shot because at the moment probably no one's going to buy it. So Demoiselle is one that we've worked with for a really long time now. So they're based in Orange and um, we do one of their classic ones. And we do also a smoke smoked synth, which is really cool. And they produce the Baron and Sons for us. So we were talking to them. We were like, we love what you do. Um, it's a really, you know, kind of unusual thing. And they started doing that with us and producing it. Just, you know, it's got different botanicals. Um, they still use a traditional method, like you kind of have to do to get the, um, the balance right. But you can use things which are unique to the region and still use particular kinds of wormwood or whatever it is, because um, you kind of need that to get that aniseed character. That's kind of the beauty of it, I think, of having a relationship with a uh, a distiller that you can, you know, have a chat to them about what they've got going on. And how do you serve it? We do serve it in cocktails, which are great because it has, you can sort of put in 10 or 15 mil and it, it will be so present. It's like a dream ingredient like that. You don't have to Sort of eat of it a drop, like you do an absinthe wash in a glass, and people will be like, "There's something there," and that's really cool. That's definitely something we do. Um, we also serve it in a traditional method, which is just basically you serve it with water, with iced water and with sugar, and the absinthe is absolutely 100% meant to be diluted, so it is meant to have a little bit of water added, which will release all the oils. It'll some of the um, it'll go a little bit cloudy because not all the botanicals are water soluble, so they'll it'll go. Get that really nice kind of creaminess to it. And a good quality absinthe will always do that when you add water, just in case you want to nugget at your next dinner party. Even if you just pour it over ice, it'll it'll go a little bit cloudy. We do it in a slow drip. So you come out with a um water fountain. It'll have a little tiny tap, and each you have sort of two taps with the fountain or four. And that'll drip slowly into a glass. You can have a bit of sugar, do it to your own palate.
0: You've hosted stand-up comedy nights and also speed dating events. I remember going to one of those, oh, um, cool. mostly as a journalist, not really there for myself. Mm-hmm. And lots of other events over the years, you've become kind of a meeting place, mm-hmm. which a bar should be, of course. Do you have a highlight of kind of what you've hosted over the 10 years? Oh,
1: that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I could pick a highlight. I think the um, the comedy was really great for the time that we did it that kind of fell away with COVID because the producers who had all the connections and would do all the work sort of went on to do other things. We did a lot more live music last year, which was really cool, basically because we had more funding through, which is with such a small venue, we really need that to sort of try and get the momentum going for live music. I'm hoping that the event will be the birthday party because then we can sort of, you know, make a big bang memory there. And we're getting like a, one of our favourite bands in there who are – um a brother sister trio called HIA who are very outcasty, they're awesome. And um, you know, DJ that we've worked with over the years. But yeah, I don't know if I could pick a favorite so far.
0: So this party is the whole decade party. Yeah. One whole decade party One whole decade. on November the second. Yep. What else do you have plans for for that particular party? I know tickets are thirty five dollars.
1: Yeah. So that's basically you get a drink and you'll get some cake and stuff like that. So that's only so we can monitor who's going to come in and uh, um, make sure we've got enough space for everybody. What else do we have planned? Well, I'm still doing a lot of that planning now. So I want to get a very memorable cake. Um, I'm still actually looking for a supplier if anybody wants to point me in a direction. I've tried a few people, but they weren't available. So my particular vision is that it's a large zombie, basically, that's on fire. (laughs) And That seems appropriate. I want to know if we can make that happen in cake form. And then I would also like it to be on fire at some point. So that is um, what I'm trying to make happen. I'm not quite sure how it's going to happen yet. Those are the main things. We want to sort of get just really good music. Fire will be some some kind of element there. And, uh, yeah, on a bit of a dance, ideally.
0: And after the big party, what's next for Oh, uh,
1: Every year is a new challenge. So last year the challenges were everyone was sick and there weren't enough people to work. That was a huge challenge. And then that sort of, you know, covid stuff settled down and now there are new challenges this year because everything's more expensive and everyone has less money. So we're all, I think, trying to navigate that, but people still have a thirst to go out and they want to try new stuff. Um, So that's that challenge. So I feel like next year will have its own landscape. I think there's always things there in terms of even just the drinks and things that we want to try out flavor-wise that we're going to keep going on. We've been trying to, we've been talking more about sort of doing some kind of structured absinthe thing with tastings or flights and sort of, I guess, packaging that up a bit because it's something that people do like because it's a new thing. They do like, um, well, it's not new, it's been around forever, but it's not, I guess, as well known, a bit of structure around that for people, which I think would be, I actually think that would be a really cool thing to do and takeaway stuff like we did a little bit of it during covid on a fairly rudimentary scale but there's been products that we've or drinks that we've worked on that i think would also work really really well as a package deal i mean sort of looking at talking to different suppliers about it maybe collaborating on that
0: well you can still find papageddies at 348 kent street in sydney just down the laneway and if you want to find out more information about their big party it's called one whole decade party on november the second and it's all on the papageddies website Thanks, Lara. Thank you. And that's all we have time for today. Of course, you can stay up to date with what's happening around Sydney at broadsheet.com.au and at broadsheet underscore sid on Instagram. A listener production.